Do you want red or do you want blue? I thought you were about to ask me if I like jazz. <laughs> do you like jazz? <laughs> Not particularly. Let's go right into the thing I brought. Sure, 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 sure. Oh. <laughs> Your keys are stuck. Alright. Are you ready for this? I'm ready for this. I don't think you are. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Mothman in lingerie. Yes. That is awesome. That is so uh, awesome. Uh, it was like... So great. I was like, I saw it on a Facebook group. Somebody posted it and I was like, I would literally buy this. And she's like, thanks, I've gotten Etsy. You can get prints. And they're like, real cheap. And I was like, uh, okay. That is awesome. So I've got this one for me. I'm going to order another one for you. <laughs> We've also got um, Jersey Devil. Um, let me... What's her Etsy? Dandy Andy. Thank you, Dandy Andy. Yeah. I, that's why I stopped at Meyer before I got here, so I can get a nice picture frame for it. I think I'm going to post it on our social media, because it's so great. There's been a couple things that I've wanted to post on social media that I hasn't. Hasn't. Yeah. Hasn't. <laughs> hasn't. Hasn't done it. We're from Kentucky. Nobody expects us, <laughs> expects us to be grammatically correct. I'm never... Uh, grammatically correct <laughs> but it's really great for people who can't see it um it's moth person in lingerie with big beautiful red eyes and gorgeous wings <laughs> and that bra which i wish was it's a really real cute bra. actually yeah <laughs> it's like it's real cute lingerie it's really cute. i mean oh it's uh called moth ma'am Mothman burlesque watercolor. Yes. Yes. If you want to go find it. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's Rachel. That's Grace. And welcome to our podcast. Myths. Misfortunes. It's us. It's Miss Sands. <laughs> I was going to say, you forgot a very important word. You're almost as bad as your mom. <laughs> so my mom's been telling people at work, she's like, my daughter's got this podcast you should listen to it. It's called, um, uh, Myths and Mayhem? No, uh, Myths and Monsters? <laughs> and she'll come home and she'll be like, what is your podcast again? And I'll be like, Myths and Misfortunes? And she'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll have to let them know that because I said the wrong thing. So we need to have some business cards. Yeah. 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 Okay. We are a paranormal and true crime podcast. Yes, each week we pick somewhere in the world and base our stories on that place. And or surrounding area. Definitely sometimes emphasis on that surrounding area. <laughs> yes, a lot of the time. 
Okay. So where are we this week, Grace? Well, we are in the Navajo Nation. Ooh. Yes. In, obviously, I mean, the United States. I mean, not obviously. (laughs) Obviously. In the Navajo Nation, Arizona, Utah, New Mexico, the Four Corners area. Yeah. Basically. The desert. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So my sources for this were Britannica.com. Love Britannica.com. IHS.gov, UtahIndians.org, and Wikipedia. There was one more I can't find. Maybe I didn't use it. I don't know. There was so much that I wanted to put in here. All right. So Navajo Nation consists of the Navajo people. The uh, Navajo people call themselves Dine, which means the people. It's believed by anthropologists that the Navajo people arrived in the southwest between 800 and 1,000 years ago by crossing the Bering Strait land bridge. So yeah, it says that, and then it skips to the arrival of the Spanish in the 16th century, introduced sheep, goats, and horses to the Navajo, and like other tribes who used horses as a means of transportation, they sometimes engaged in slave and food raids on neighboring tribes. Of course. Yes. In 1680, Navajo and Apache groups aided Pueblo Indians in the Pueblo Revolt, a war for independence from the Spanish, who had brutalized and enslaved Pueblos for decades and were intent on conquering the Southwest. Okay. Uh, The rebellion forced the Spanish back into Mexico for a time, but in 1693, the Spanish reconquered the area of the Rio Grande Valley, and many fell victim to the Spanish slave trade. After the United States defeated Mexico in 1846 and gained control of the territory known today as the Southwest and California, the U.S. Army, under the command of Colonel Kit Carson, instituted a scorched-earth policy, burning Navajo fields and homes, stealing or killing their livestock. After starving the Navajos into submission, Carson rounded up every Navajo he could find, 8,000 men, women, and children, and forced his prisoners to march 300 miles to Fort Sumner, New Mexico. Navajos refer to this as the Long Walk. Many died or disappeared along the way, and those who survived were held at the overcrowded, undersupplied, unsanitary Bosque Redondo Reservation at Fort Sumner. Mm-hmm. After four years of internment there, an 1868 treaty allowed the Navajo to return to their homeland, occupied in the Four Corners area, which is the only location in the United States where four states meet. Yeah, it's all Alazana. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck is Alazana? Alazana. Alazana. Uh, maybe I just want lasagna. I don't know. It's Arizona, Colorado, Utah, and New Mexico. The Navajo Reservation, set aside by the Treaty of 1868, has been enlarged through executive orders and special legislation, including an 1884 executive order through which much of the land in present-day southeastern Utah was added. The Navajo raised goats and sheep and eventually developed a barter economy, exchanging rugs and silverwork with white traders. In the 1920s, oil and mineral exploration began in the Four Corners region. Oil and gas discoveries in the 1950s and 60s on the Utah portion of the reservation have been good and bad for the Navajo Nation and the state of Utah. 
It's helped to bring money to the area as well as cause environmental problems. Oil wells have contaminated water and damaged rangelands. Uranium mining, which began in the 40s, has also had mixed results for the Navajos. Mining brought much-needed funds to the tribe, but radioactive contamination caused a lot of death and disease in mining communities. Although Native Americans weren't granted citizenship until 1924, Navajos have a proud history of wartime service in the 20th century. I was about to say 12th. (laughs) That's several centuries before. Yeah. Many Utah Navajos served in the First World War, And during World War II, Navajo played a major part in winning the war in the Pacific by developing a code based on the Navajo language. Cool. Yes, uh, that proved impossible for the Japanese and Brits. Japanese and Brits? It proved impossible for the Japanese to break. Oh. These code talkers are now famous, but over 3,000 Navajos also served in the Army, Navy, Marine Corps, and Women's Army Corps. Thousands more left the reservation to work in war-related industries. Is it because of the, um, they get, like, education and... I don't know. Because I know that's why a lot of people join the army is for, like, college. Yeah. I think most, that's why most people, a lot of people do it. I'm not speak for them, but... I was just wondering. I don't know. If you know, please tell us. Yeah. Today, Navajos are faced with large unemployment rates and acculturation to a more nuclear family structure is increasingly present. The Navajo people and their traditional lifestyles under substantial stress brought about by rapid change in their society, mainly because of, like, white Americans trying to encroach on their culture. Yeah. All right. Just some quick facts about the Navajo Nation. It is the largest Indian reservation in the United States and is comprised of about 16 million acres or about 25,000 square miles, which is larger than the states of Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Rhode Island combined. To be fair, those are all all really small states. states. It's also about the same size as West Virginia. Okay. Oh. Well, I know when I was looking at it on the map, mm-hmm. it it's ex- very extensive. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are also, like, groups that are, like, spread out, like, very far. Like, mm-hmm. I know there are some stories that I have later about people being so separated and not really seeing each other for long oh, stretches wow. of time because they tend to band together in small communities near water sources. Mm-hmm. So that's why you'll, like, go large stretches without seeing anybody. Oh, okay. Especially in the desert. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. Another fact. The traditional dwelling of the Navajo is called a hoan. Hoan? Hoan. Which looks like it said Hogan. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I looked it up and the person who... It was like a... Like one of those learn Navajo language things. Mm -hmm. um, Videos. And they said it was a hoan. Okay. So a hoan can be round, cone-shaped, multi-sided, or square, with or without internal posts, made out of timber or stone, walls, packed with earth in varying amounts, or uh, a bark roof over a summer house, with the door facing east to welcome the rising sun for wealth and good fortune. Okay. They're not used as much for homes nowadays, as far as I could find, but um, they're... Mostly used for, like, ceremonies and stuff now. Traditionally, Navajos are a matriarchal society with descent and inheritance determined through one's mother. Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> Navajo women have traditionally owned the bulk of resources and property, such as livestock. And in cases of marital, marital separation, women retained property and children. In cases of maternal death, children were sent to live with their mother's family. I don't know if this is still the case, but if you have any information, I'd love to know. I don't think so. I don't think At so least either, but... based on my story. Yeah, because I know, I guess that was how it was originally, but I don't know... Anymore. Um, I mean, they don't really teach us very much in schools about how, like, the Navajo Nation or even, like, any sort of reservation works. Oh, yeah. No, they They're don't teach like, us anything. These people live on their own. We don't talk about them. Well, first of all... I didn't even know that reservations were a thing mm. really? until, um, not recently, but like until high, high school. school. Yeah. Yeah. Because I always thought, oh, well, you know, they've been incorporated into our culture oh. and we're all just one big melting pot. I was very innocent <laughs> and naive. I, and... I don't know. I think I always knew because my grandpa's, um, I think my grandpa's grandmother was supposed to be um, full Native American. Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't really know. So I don't know. I mean, so I feel like he talked about it, but I don't remember. The Navajo Nation has its own bus system, which helps citizens get to work, school, doctor, um, places of recreation, entertainment, shopping, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, the annual Navajo Nation Fair is the largest American Indian fair in the United States. And the Navajo Nation has its own president, vice president, and government apart from the United States, which is very important distinction to make. Mm -hmm. Also, every year, the Navajo Nation has its own Miss Navajo competition contest that focuses on traditional techniques, public speaking, panel questions, contemporary skills and talent, traditional skills and talent, and evening gown competitions. Evening gown competitions. Yeah. Okay. I bet that's gorgeous, though. Like... Imagine all the pretty sparkly. Um, I really like sparkly you love dress. dresses. You love sparkly things. I love sparkly things. <laughs> uh, okay, well, that's what I have. Oh, yay. My turn. All right, so my story this week is the kidnapping of Ashlyn Mike. Oh. My sources are Esquire.com, LATimes.com, DailyTimes.com, InHoNews.com, SantaFeNewMexican.com, CBSNews.com, ChicagoTribune.com, AmberAdvocate.org, Facebook.com, and CourtListener.com. My story contains a brief mention of sexual assault that may be triggering for some listeners. So if that pertains to you, I advise that you fast forward about 20 to 30 minutes to Grace's story. On the afternoon of May 2nd, 2016, 12-year-old Gracelyn, 11-year-old Ashlyn, and 8-year-old Ian Mike, along with a friend, were walking home from the school bus stop. Gracelyn had walked ahead of her two siblings because they had stopped to play in a nearby irrigation canal. She had gotten a fair distance away from her siblings when a red van pulled up beside her. The driver, a man she described to be in his early 30s, asked if she wanted a ride home. When she declined, he drove off, and that was the last she saw of him. However, the man also stopped where her two siblings were playing. Just as he had offered their older sister a ride, he offered the two children a ride home. 
Ashlyn had apparently hurt her foot while the two were playing, and gladly accepted the ride from him. Oh, no. Her younger brother, Ian, being a good brother, didn't want his sister to go with a stranger alone. So he complied and joined her in the man's van. She in the front and he in the back. When the two realized that the van was going in the opposite direction of their house, they began to get a little nervous. That's when Ashlyn reached back and held her younger brother's hand. As they got closer to Shiprock Pinnacle, one of New Mexico's most iconic landmarks, Mm -hmm. the man pulled off onto a dirt road and parked. He told Ian to stay in the car and dragged Ashlyn towards a hill, taking with him a tire iron. Oh, no. About an hour later, the man returned, but without Ashlyn. He got into the vehicle, proceeded to drive for a little bit, and then told Ian to get out. When the man drove off without him, Ian began to look for his sister. He looked until it was dark out, and he could no longer see. At this point, he followed lights coming from cars until he got to Navajo Route 13, where he was seen and picked up by a couple, who then proceeded to take him to the nearest Navajo Nation Police Department. So, I just have to mention right here, there still wasn't an Amber Alert issued for the two of them. Uh. And not for lack of the family trying. When Graceland had gotten home that day, she began to get a little anxious when her siblings weren't, like, right behind her. Right. So, she then panicked thinking about the red man, the red man, the red man. (laughs) She then panicked thinking about the red van and the man who had tried to pick her up. She knew her father was busy at work. So she called her mother, Pamela Foster, who had been living in Redlands, California. Miss Foster immediately called the Navajo Nation police department and told them her children were missing. However, she kept getting put on hold. What the fuck? They were telling her that they were short-staffed and that there was only one officer on duty at Shiprock. Out of frustration and desperation, Miss Foster posted on Facebook about her missing children in the suspicious red van. Uh, I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot with a red van, but... <laughs> red van, red... Red van, red van, red van! Red rum. Red rum. No. Oh. Then, at 6.53 p.m., Gary Mike, the children's father, filed a missing persons report for the children with the Shiprock Police Department. It was about 20 minutes later when Ian was picked up by that couple. Then, a little before 8 p.m., Pamela Foster's cousin called into the Farmington Police Department, which was very close to Shiprock. Yeah. She was calling because she had seen her cousin's Facebook post and wanted to see if the Navajo Police Department had notified them yet. To to her dismay, they had heard nothing of the kidnapping, and Ashlyn had now been missing for hours. Later that night, she went in person to the Farmington Police Department, where she was told that a search party was on standby, and that they were waiting to hear the okay from Navajo Nation since it was a jurisdiction issue. The Shiprock community, however, used to the delayed responses from law enforcement, began to take matters into their own hands. Good. Friends and family members created search parties. Their father, Gary, drove the roads near Shiprock Pinnacle trying to interpret his son's patchy memories. Right. He kept searching long after darkness engulfed everything. He used his cell phone flashlight to illuminate the ground in front of him as he searched. Which, if you think about it, you're not seeing a lot. No. Cell phone flashlights can't do anything. Um, 
In fact, Rick Nez, who was president of one of the Navajo Nation chapter houses, transformed that chapter house into an informal command center. They stockpiled water bottles and organized search parties. It wasn't until 9 p.m. that the Navajo Police Department finally requested an Amber Alert from the FBI. However, Amber Alerts are typically initiated by state police, not the FBI. This obviously caused some confusion and some issues, and it wasn't until after midnight that an FBI agent contacted the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Fuck. They then got in contact with the New Mexico police, and then they launched the Amber Alert process. It was 2.30 a.m. before the Amber Alert went out, and everyone got the notifications regarding Ashland's disappearance. Almost eight hours after Gary Mack first reported his children missing. Uh. The following day... Investigators were pointed in the direction of a man whom the court would only identify as R.D. Mm. He proceeded to tell investigators that his clan brother, Tom B.A. Jr., saw a red van in the area of the location that Ashlyn was abducted in. They then followed R.D. to his sweat lodge in order to speak with B.A. The investigator noticed a red Dodge Caravan parked near the lodge. They took photos of Baye in the vehicle as he was being interviewed. Mm. These were then shown to Ian Mike, and he confirmed that this was the man who took them. Oh. Baye was arrested, and more information came to light about what happened. He told investigators that he had offered the children a ride and that he had targeted Ashlyn because he had intentions of having sexual intercourse with her. He drove away from the area, heading west on Navajo Route 13, eventually taking a dirt road and stopping near a hill. Ashlyn was crying and begging him to take her home. He claimed that he took out an L-shaped tire iron and hid it under his jacket. He then took Ashlyn behind the hill, where he took off her pants, underpants and shoes, and proceeded to penetrate her vagina with two fingers. She obviously starts crying like crazy. She's afraid this is a stranger, someone almost three times her age is doing intimate things with her, where she's probably never done any thing whatsoever. Baye then hit her in the head with the tire iron, knocking her to the ground, where he proceeded to hit her one more time and then said that she laid still. Baye made two more claims, one that Ashlyn was still moving when he left her, and two, that he had never penetrated her with his penis. Like, that's any better. What a piece of shit. Yep. One other source claims that he raped her and then hit her with the tire iron because he was ashamed and didn't want anyone to know what he had done. Thanks to this information, investigators found her shortly after with a bloody head and appeared to have died from blunt force trauma. Bayet was indicted on March 24, 2016 on six counts. First-degree murder, kidnapping resulting in death, two counts of aggravated sexual abuse resulting in the death of a minor, and the kidnapping of a minor. On June 7, 2016, he pled not guilty to all accounts, but a year later, on August 1, 2017, he agreed to a plea agreement. Then on October 20, 2017, he was sentenced to serve life in prison without the possibility of release. One common comment after all of this, is why was the Amber Alert system not implemented as soon as she was reported missing? 
especially given the information that a suspicious van was involved. Right. I don't get that at all. Uh, Yeah. Well, apparently laws had been proposed and funds had been set up, but nothing had ever been prepared for something like this to happen. Uh In April of 2018, the Ashland Mike Amber Alert in Indian Country Act was passed. This new law now allows for integration of tribal Amber Alert systems into the state Amber Alert systems. Good. Makes native tribes eligible for Amber Alert grants, which, you know, funds for right, yeah. all of that. Uh, permits the use of grant funds to integrate state or regional Amber Alert communication plans with the native tribes and allows the waiver of the matching funds required for grants awarded to the tribes. So, unfortunately, like most laws, this came from tragedy, but hopefully, you know, it won't happen again. Yeah, it's good that that... Fuck. Yeah. That was extremely unsatisfying. I know. And I partially hate you a little bit. Um, But it's... it's, At least it encouraged change, but it it shouldn't have had to happen. That shouldn't have happened. It, it encouraged change. The guy was caught. You know, granted, we all wish that she... Had, it hadn't happened. Yeah. In general. In general. Fuck. And, you know, my deepest sympathy for the family. That's so awful. <sighs> 11. She was 11. Why was he having sexual thoughts about an 11-year-old? Yeah, and on top of that, like... I feel like there's such a prevalence of, like, violence against women in those communities. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like they should have probably thought ahead in that instance because, ugh. I mean, honestly, I guess people don't think about it until it absolutely, until like, it's happens. already happened. Yeah. And that's, it's so awful. Yeah. And, you know, there's no guarantee that if, unfortunately, there's no guarantee that even if the Amber Alert system had been implemented right away, that it would have been stopped. Right. But it's one of those things that if it hadn't, if he hadn't done that immediately, then it might have been stopped. That's so, ugh. I know, I'm sorry. Please bring me something not so. Well, goddamn. Okay. Well, since um, we're in this area, the best paranormal thing I could think of was skinwalkers. Mm, so just, we're going to do that. Just curse us. I question whether I should actually do it or not. Why? Because a lot of the things I said read that it's not good to actually, like, speak about them. Like, say uh-huh. it out loud. Uh-huh. <laughs> Remember, like, I know I told you've told you this. me this before, but you even said, I kind of want to do Skinwalkers I know. once. And I was like, well, you know what? If Rachel's willing to give it a chance, I might as well. I said I wanted to do it, just not say their name. <laughs> How are you going to not say... You say it once, then them, they, it the rest of the way through. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> so my sources are phantomsandmonsters.com, yourghoststories.com, ThePhoenixEnigma.com, Thought Catalog, uh, Legends.atavist.com, uh, I don't know. So, 
the Navajo don't really speak openly about skinwalkers, especially with strangers, because mm-hmm. it might invite the attention of them. Yeah. Because, I mean, anybody could be one. Oh, yeah. You'll never so. know. And um, sometimes, and some, I mean, you never know. They're feared to be living among people in secret, so. Mm-hmm. They look just like you. They look just like me. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> sometimes. They Sometimes don't. they don't. All right. So, what is a skinwalker? <laughs> <laughs> she looked me right in the eyes. She's like, "Don't say it. Don't say it." <sighs> so they are basically like super dumbed down, a malevolent witch. That is, yeah, super dumbed down. You're not wrong. Long version. <laughs> they are a witch who is no longer fully human. Mm. That is capable of transforming themselves into multiple animals. Most people think coyote when they hear skinwalker, but Mm -hmm. they can actually transform themselves into, like, wolf, a bear, a bird, basically anything. Anything, yeah. Yeah. People who say they've seen one most often describe them as a hollowed out, or, like, hollowed out dog-like animals. Mm -hmm. Um, And they usually carry a whistle, a bull roarer. They carry a whistle? Yep. They're just gonna summon their own, um, their own dog spirit. Jesus. <laughs> or they're armed with long poison tip needle. People claim to hear their whistling sounds or unnatural whirling sounds late at night. <laughs> whirling? Whirling. <laughs> Swirling, twirling. They're just opening a vortex. Yep. Uh, some have also claimed... That the scent is unnatural as well. It's described as like a really gross sulfuric odor. Mm. Yeah. Demons. Demons. So the Navajo call them. Um, so ye. I can't say it. I looked it up. A Everything. Nothing let me pronounce it correctly. Good. It's better to not be able to pronounce it. Anyway. It roughly translates to, with it, he goes on all fours. So, this type of witch might wear the hide or skin of the animal it wants to assume the identity of. Mm -hmm. And when the transformation is complete, the witch inherits the speed, strength, or cunning of the animal whose shape it has taken. Oh. Yes. Now that I didn't know. Yes. Navajo believe that skinwalkers also have the power to steal the skin or body of a person, and that if you look one in the eyes, they can immerse themselves into your body. Oh, fun. Yeah. So the skinwalkers avoid bright lights, and their eyes glow like an animal when in human form. But when they're in animal form, their eyes don't glow like an animal should. Oh, that's creepy. Yes. That... Okay, that makes the episode I watched for Skinwalker Canyon of Ghost Adventures so much creepier. Because <laughs> they saw glowing eyes. Oh, <laughs> yikes. When in animal form, the Skinwalker will retain their wits, and become, um, because of this, they are really dangerous. Uh-huh. So it's like not like a werewolf where they um, just become this thing and become mindless. They have these abilities that and tricks. So, like, they have this, like, it says that they can use mind control against their victims to make them hurt themselves. Oh, yeah? That they can cause disease, turn invisible, and some say that they have an immobilizing powder that they can use against their victims. I don't like that. Yes. So, people really try to avoid them because along with all of that, they're known to commit murders and are prone to grave robbing and necrophilia. Eh. 
So, how are skinwalkers made? Apparently, skinwalkers don't always start out bad. A bad witch has to choose their way. Mm -hmm. So, sometimes they start off as a medicine man, and every medicine man in training learns the dark arts. This way, they'll be able to defeat them when the time comes. Mm -hmm. Before they can become a skinwalker, it's said that they have to kill a blood relative, and that's what kills whatever humanity they have left in them sometimes they're taught by another skinwalker so like a mentor yeah Yeah. of course uh there's also supposed to be a ritual that cements a witch as a skinwalker said that a group of people meet in some isolated region and out of this group three people are chosen to run around in the skin three chosen people sit naked in front of the group with a coyote skin lying before them while the crowd behind them chant songs these three individuals enter the skin and then they travel around doing their evil deeds leaving the group behind to chant uh, songs that give them their power the reason they choose three individuals to be skinwalkers is because one person is supposed to be like a lookout the next person like chases away any wild animals and Mm -hmm. then the third person actually does the specific like evil thing yeah yeah so they their activities can include like terrorizing people casting spells on people and the you know the grave robbing and necrophilia and then they use this red light to communicate with one another while they're out doing their evil shit (laughs) while they're out doing evil shit (laughs) yeah so i read that i'm not sure if it's totally true or just somebody writing this to be dramatic yeah Um, but i found it in like two separate places uh where it's by navajo law a known witch like evil witch is forfeit their status as a human and can be killed at will which i'm not sure again i'm not sure yeah. if that's actually true or if it's just like this dude wanted to be dramatic and cool edgy he's edgy i um, feel like like the assumption is that like a witch is by definition evil so yeah there's good witches there's bad witches i mean the, these bad ones those are bad ones anyway also there's supposed to be an alpha skinwalker yeah i'm not Maybe sure he's supernatural I'm not sure if every, if, like, it's an actual thing. Again, this is just research that I found. Not a lot's actually known on, like, specific legends. At least we don't know them. Yeah. Um, Because the Navajo don't generally speak about it. Yeah. But, yeah, according to legend, the Alpha Skinwalker is the very first Skinwalker. And although he's not really seen, he directs the actions of numerous packs of Skinwalkers. The main objective seems to be infiltrating families disguised as pets and then biting them at a signal in order to create more skinwalkers. Supernatural. So, yeah, it sounds extremely like supernatural, so I'm not sure if we want to really want to believe that one. No, well, you don't remember that episode of Supernatural with the... Isn't it like a little white dog? It wasn't a little white dog. It was a, I want to say German Shepherd. Oh. That turned into a human. Well, like, it was human, and he was bitten, and he turned into a German shepherd, and he was able to turn turn back. I don't know. I don't remember that one. And they had an alpha, and the alpha's the one that bit all of them. I don't and know. They I were, stopped watching Supernatural were, a while ago. Well, they, they did exactly what you said. They infiltrated families huh. as a family pet, and their goal was to bite the family per the alpha's command so that there'd be more of them 
Yeah, but I don't really think that's how it spreads. I think that might just be something that somebody thought was cool. But it matches. Anyway. Continue. I'm sorry. So, in some tribes, skin work... (laughs) Skin workers. Skin workers. Yes. (laughs) Uh, In some tribes, skin walkers weren't evil. The Navajo would choose the best warriors to spy on other tribes, like the Apache and Hopi. At night, these warriors would disguise themselves as coyotes and infiltrate a neighboring village to learn if the enemy was planning a raid against them. Hmm. Yeah, some say after the Europeans over in Native American land and basically tried to enforce their culture on them, yeah. um, the skinwalkers began to wreak havoc against their own tribes or skinwalkers started to become vilified. Yeah. It is said that you can kill a skinwalker if you call them by their true human name. Mm-hmm. I found something else, another way to kill them, but that's in a later story. So, I'll okay. get there. This is where I start my four stories. <laughs> a boy. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be a long one. Buckle in. All right. So, this story is one that was told by someone who grew up in Cameron, Arizona. Whoa. He said that the west of the town, up in the mesas, lived a woman everyone knew was a skinwalker. And that his mother had told him to stay away from the area, and if he or his friends ever saw her, they were to run away as fast yeah. as possible. He said that one day while walking with some friends, one of them pointed up to a mesa where they saw the woman standing on a cliff edge. And he thinks the cliff was about, like, 100 feet tall, um, and it was broad daylight, mm-hmm. which is interesting because most things you see about skinwalkers are at night. Yeah. But not all, so... But they just watched her stand there, staring out over the cliff into the desert for a while. And then all of a sudden, she stepped out and just floated to the bottom where they lost sight of her. That does sound something witchy to do. Witchy. Creeped out. They ran. Uh, He also said that whenever she would come around, people's sheep would die. And that was always a sure sign that somebody was a skinwalker. He said that the sheep were weak and couldn't take the evil energy of creatures being around. He said that many people were aware of her and no one was exactly sure where she lived, but they thought it was up in one of the caves on the mesas. The elders said that she was old, but nobody knew exactly how old, and none of them were about to go up there and find out. So. Do blame them. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, story number two. This one was a person who would visit their grandmother as a teenager at her home on the Navajo Reservation for a couple weeks every summer. They talked about how um, they loved spending time there, listening to her stories and eating the food she would make for them. Every once in a while, their grandmother would hire someone to do odd jobs on the property. And one evening, before the sun went down, their grandmother asked them to drive the worker home, which was about four miles out of the valley that she lived in. Seeing as they were 14, they jumped at the chance to be able to drive somewhere. Of course they did. Uh, Apparently nobody really cares if you're only 14 driving around because there's hardly anyone to see you anyway. Yeah. So they got in the truck with their nine-year-old brother and the worker and the dog were in the back of the truck. So they dropped the worker off at his house and headed back as the sun began to set. It was normal, like nothing weird, and then something caught their eye. A little movement or something in the bushes a little up the road to the right. So they slowed down a little bit just in case it was a sheep and it decided to dart in front of the truck. And they passed the point where they thought they saw it and sped up. 
And out of nowhere, they got this really dark feeling of fear and dread and had no idea why they were feeling that way, but they knew something was really wrong. Oh, and it was a, a while back, so they only have certain things that stick out in their mind about what happened, but they do remember they looked in their rear view mirror and saw the dark silhouette of something really tall and really skinny, and that seemed to be covered with hair or fur, and it was running behind the truck after them. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it was, they were like, that's not normal. <laughs> Obviously. That's not normal. That's not normal. <laughs> They remember their brother crying and the dog barking at whatever it was. And they started speeding. And the more they sped up, the closer it got. Oh. Yeah. That's not how that's supposed to work. Right. And their brother started yelling that it was coming up on the driver's side. They sped around a bend and they saw a car coming towards them uh, from the opposite direction. And immediately felt relief uh, as whatever was following them stopped following them. Like it was just gone. Yeah. They got home and they ran inside to tell their grandma what had happened and she told them stories about black magic, witches, and skinwalkers. And they didn't, that person said that they didn't drive on the reservation at night for years after that and they only started doing it again once they turned 21. Because after 21, <laughs> I guess at that age you're like, ah, I'm invincible. Yeah. <laughs> I can do whatever the fuck I want. I can go to a strip club, blackout, lose the soul of my shoe with my wallet. <laughs> That's very specific. We're just going to ignore that. That's very specific. That's more of a 19-year-old thing. Anyway. Uh. (laughs) Story number three. All right. So this one was actually someone's grandfather's story. Okay. Uh, It was on the same website as the one before. Yeah. Uh, It was in response to that one, actually. So, this person's grandfather was around 10 years old, and he was the only one in the, um, Hoan, their, the home, the family home. Yeah. He was, like, the oldest with his six younger siblings. It was late at night, and they heard someone walking around the Hoan, and it started off quietly, and then the steps grew louder and louder until it went dead silent. And then their father was scared, uh, the grandfather was scared, but hid it from his siblings, and they sat in the middle of the Hoan surround, uh, huddled together, scared to make a noise because they thought it might bring it, whatever it was, back. Mm-hmm. All right, so half an hour later, they start to hear footsteps again, slowly making its way towards uh, the door when they heard a thud on top of the Hoan. So it was like walking across the top towards the middle, towards the stovepipe. Mm-hmm. And their grandpa, he ran to get the bow and arrow hanging on top of the doorway and headed for the stove. This is the part that was... Uh, the other way to kill a skinwalker. He opened the hatch and looked up, and he saw a man with his face painted wearing a coyote skin. He had been taught by his father how to recognize a skinwalker and how to kill it. He then dipped the four arrows he had in ashes and started to shoot at the creature. His last arrow shot the creature on the side of its body, and they heard the skinwalker falling off the roof onto the ground. They didn't look outside, but he knew that it was dying. They ended up falling asleep, huddled together, and the next afternoon, his dad came back and told their grandpa one of his uncles had passed away from the wound in his side. Or from a wound in his side. And their grandpa, and that's how he knew that it was his uncle who was trying to attack them, and that his uncle was a skinwalker. That goes in with your infiltrating the family. Yes. 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 All right. Last story. (laughs) It's so, there's just so many. Okay. 
This one is a little bit creepy. I mean, the other they, the others they were all creepy, creepy too. But yeah. All right. So this last one, this man said that he was in his father. He was at his father's house uh, where he grew up when it happened. Their property had a hole enough to the side, and that at one point was their original home. He said that he was up on a hill overlooking the property when he saw a short, hairy-looking thing walk around one side of the hoan. It looked like it was sneaking, like moving stealthily. At first, he thought it was some kind of wild animal, and then he saw a sister coming from around the other side of the hoan because, and because of the curve of the, the structure, yeah. she couldn't see it coming from the opposite direction. Oh. He yelled... Because he tried to warn her, and when he did, she stopped and looked up at him and waved because she thought he was playing. But the creature stopped, too, and they took a step back. It pressed its back up against the hoan, and it became invisible, like morphed into the wood. Mm -hmm. He said when it happened, it looked almost exactly like the camouflage, like the alien movie uh, in Predator. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, and he started running down the hill yelling at his sister to run, and she did. When she did, the skinwalker pulled itself off the wall and, like, resumed to, like, the hairy short figure and started running, too. Started, well, that's creepy. Ran for the edge of the property, and it there was a ditch that it jumped into, and he said he'd never seen anything run so fast in his life, and it wasn't a coyote or a deer, and that it ran on two legs. He told his family about it, and they called a medicine man to come perform a cleansing. That's the end of my story. <laughs> Just some skinwalker stories. I am so glad that we discussed that. Yes. Yes, yes. Okay, everyone, do not say the actual name for skinwalker. Yeah. I can't pronounce it. Couldn't find an actual pronunciation. That's probably why. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, to do that. Well, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Myths and Misfortunes or Twitter at Myths Misfortune. Or you can search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. You can also send us an email to mythsandmisfortunes at gmail.com. Our music was composed by McKean Fulbright and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. And Please rate, review, subscribe. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye.